Hi, this is Sean Benson from Harvest Church in Warrensburg, Missouri. I want to thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. For more resources, log on to harvestwarrensburg.com. Hey, this morning we're going to circle back to our core value series. You know, and the, the, the core value as it's stated is, is transparency and vulnerability. We've talked much about those terms kind of over the years, and we've really leaned into uh, really vulnerability describes it probably better than transparency. Transparency sometimes gets people a little bit lost. But so vulnerability, you can kind of see it up on the right-hand side there. I see Todd craning his neck to, to see where it's right there. It's circled in red. I highlighted it for your benefit this morning. So vulnerability, that's what we're going after. And we feel like we can, as a core value for us, we can break down vulnerability into three primary categories, right? It's, it's humility, first and foremost. It's humility, it's teachability, and it's good communication. Humility, teachability, and communication. That's what we're talking about when we say we have a core value of, of vulnerability. Like, how many of you are right 100% of the time? Bruce, keep your hand down. Where did he go? So like nobody, right? I mean, like, so another follow-up question to that, but the same result is like, have you ever been wrong, <laughs> right? You know, some of your wives are like, he's wrong all the time, you know, right? We, we, we've, we, we're wrong sometimes. We, we don't always, we don't always get it. And, and you've probably, if you've been here long enough, you've heard me talk about perceptions. Our perception of an event isn't always accurate. Is that right? Like, have you ever misperceived something? Somebody said something, you know, and you misinterpreted it, uh, you know what I mean? And probably in your mind, in some ways, ran off with some certain scenarios and thought about some things you'd like to tell that person, and you find out you were completely wrong, like that's not what they said or intended at all, right? So, th- so we, we, we have to understand, first and foremost, that, that nobody has it right, nobody's 100% right 100% of the time, that nobody's perspective is 100% right. You know that when you go to a crime scene, you have a guy that's, you know, five foot five and, and, and blonde hair and, and good looking, gets described all the way from reality to he was 5'11 and brunette and had sunglasses and a goatee. We're like, what? That's nice. He didn't even have facial hair. We've, we've seen it. We understand it. Our perspectives are unique in a sense, and they are rarely 100% accurate, and so it necessitates that we all have humility. Is that fair? That we have to have humility, and it, and it changes, or it should, let me submit this to you, it should change the way that we interact with other human beings. See, because if I come into conversations, if I, particularly if I've been offended, if I come into conversations and I believe that I can be wrong because I have been a time or two, right? and I, I understand that I'm only understanding a, a part of what I thought I saw, what I thought I saw might not be true. How many of you know that changes or it should change my interaction with other human beings? So when I'm coming in and I'm having conversations with them, recognizing that I could be wrong, I'm never actually coming in waggling my finger of accusation. Oh, Charles, when you did this, da 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 da, da right? Well, I don't even know. I, so I, it changes, it necessarily changes my interaction. So in my relationships, I have to actually come open-handed under the, and I would submit to you, like under the assumption that I could be wrong, number one, and two, with enough grace, giving that person the benefit of the doubt. Why is it that we tend to just immediately jump to the negative? 
Like, understanding that we're, we're never right 100% of the time, that our perceptions have been wrong, that's been proven over and over to us all over for the whole, our whole lifetime. You know, those who are oldest among us, the, like, more experience in this area the, than, than anybody. Like, we, we know this, and yet somehow, when faced with a conflict or when faced with, with something that is perceivably offensive, we still tend towards the negative first. I can't believe that person did that to me. I walked right past them in the aisle of Walmart, and they never even said hi. I, honestly, I had this just the other day. There was somebody who has long since left our church, and they, they, were, uh, they had changed their facial hair a little bit, you know, and so you're out of context and you've changed your facial hair, and it's like, and there's been a little bit of gap of time since I've seen this individual, and I was like, is it, is it? Is that so-and-so? You know? And so I chose to go, well, I'm just going to stand here, and if it's him, he'll say something to me. And I'm like, I'm like looking out of the corner of my eye or whatever. Well, he didn't say anything, and I didn't say anything. <laughs> like, neither one of us. But how many of you know, like, like, you can have an interaction like that, and your go-to when you go home could be, hey, babe, did you see, did you see so-and-so? Oh, yeah, so-and-so. You know, he didn't say one, one thing to me. I walked right, I bumped him in the aisle, he was more focused on ice cream than he was being pleasant to me, I guess. I don't even know. I guess he must hate me. I mean, after all, he did leave the church. See, we can immediately jump to all kinds of conclusions, but how many of you know they're all assumptions and they're all negative and none of them are based in reality? Why do we do that? <laughs> knowing that our perceptions can be wrong, knowing that our opinions can be wrong, you know, knowing that what we, what we think in any given moment, especially as we interact with other human beings, knowing that we could miss the mark, why is our immediate go-to negative? Why not instead train ourselves to go into the positive and begin to believe the best out of the people that are around us? We have to be different. We have to be different. I would also say this. I would say... And part and parcel with this core value, and we're going to get into this just a little bit today, is this reality. I have to be vulnerable enough with the people in my sphere of influence that I'm willing actually to make an adjustment. Like understanding that I could be wrong, understanding that I may not have an accurate idea of how people are actually receiving me, I have to be willing to receive feedback from my sphere of influence, and I have to be willing to change. It's humility. And it takes a lot of humility to do this, particularly when you think you're right. How many of you think you're right 100% of the time? I know we just went over this, but now you're thinking differently. I'll, I'll just raise my hand. I'm right 100% of the time until proven otherwise. It's like the quarter law, except in the inverse. Brandy's laughing because she's that way. Now you're called to the carpet. Right, there's a, lot, there's a lot of us, you know. When you think that you're right, or you know what? Here's a whopper. Sometimes even when you are, how many of you know you still need to adjust? Oof. It's the hardest thing. And honestly, the stronger personalities in here right now, you're like, what is this guy even talking about? What in the world is this guy saying? No, you'll, you'll see it. We're going we're gonna to excavate the scriptures so that you know it's more than just Sean talking. But we have to be willing to make the adjustment even when we're right and they're wrong. Why? Because people are more important than our point. Did you hear me? People are more important than our point. You know, God's not nearly as concerned about me being right 
as he is about the way that I relate with others. He's actually more concerned about my heart and my heart towards people and the way that they'll perceive me, the way that we'll interact, the way that love is on display. He's more concerned about that than he is about me being right. How many of you fall into the trap of being more concerned that you're right at the expense of the heart of the person sitting opposite you? See, I think a lot of us do. Uh, and probably any of you who have been on social media talking politics take that philosophy. No, I'm right on this one. Yeah, everybody thinks they're right on that. Is your being right worth sacrificing relationship? The Bible would say no. If your heart is more to be right than it is to preserve the heart of the person that's across from you, you are at odds with the scripture. And I'll submit further, you're at odds with the culture that we've been working tirelessly to create at Harvest Church. People are more important than your point. People and their hearts are more important than you being right. We ready to look at the scriptures? 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Actually, let me, let me just throw this one out there. The Passion Translation, I think we've still got them on the board. As I say, I think, I'm looking right at it. So you can crane your necks to look over there if you like. The Passion Translation translates Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 like this. But be free from pride-filled opinions. How many of you know we could stop right there and go home? Be freed from pride-filled opinions. Uh, basically, that's every political conversation I've seen on social media. <laughs> right? Just to pick on a single category. You know, that's probably every spat that you've had with your spouse. Think about it. Does it fit in that category? Very likely. Very likely it was a moment where you were unable to grasp with your own humility and you continued to stir the pot. Right? I think we could just full stop right there. Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. I think we could add right there, if we wanted to translate that slightly different, we could say it will only harm your disconnection with other human beings. You don't want to be disconnected from your spouse. You don't want to be disconnected from your kids. You don't want to be disconnected from the people in your sphere of influence. Hold up your opinion at the expense of other people's hearts and you will be disconnected. And I guarantee you that's a very lonely road. All right. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but with authentic humility, put others first <laughs> and view others as more important than yourselves. We've referenced this scripture quite a bit. This is what the Bible calls us to. Put others first. Don't put your opinion first. Don't put your being right at the expense of other people. Okay, let's look at a story. First Corinthians chapter 8, we're starting out in verse 7. You know, how many of you know the Bible, when it was written, it was written in a heathen land. It was written at a, at a time when there was pagan worship and uh, idolatry, where they had legit worship to, to unknown gods, to, to, to other heathen gods. They were, uh, paganism was rampant, is ultimately what I'm talking about. And, and within that context, the Apostle Paul begins to speak to the Corinthians, Okay. It's, it's in this place of understanding that, that, that pagans, that idol worshipers, we're talking like legit idols like Buddha, were beginning to actually give their lives to Christ and come into the church. But because of their background in paganism, they were a little bit tainted in their experience and thus they were hindered in their Christianity. We start in verse 7. He says, oh, I, I guess I should say this as a preface. The Apostle Paul, by the way, we're talking about 
uh, eating food that was sacrificed to idols. We're talking about participating in pagan festivals. We're talking about being caught as a Christian in these pagan temples. We're talking about all that kind of stuff. The Apostle Paul, the way that he addresses it, he was like, listen, we know that there's only one God. There's one true God that all of the other gods are false. And if that's true, then it doesn't make a bit of difference what you do. You have liberty. Why do you have liberty? Because they're false gods. They don't matter. We know that there's only one true God. So in other words, he's saying you can approach this by faith knowing that this is what it is. It's nothing. And thus, you can have liberty. Your participation in that pagan festival or event or your participation in the temple is of no consequence to you if you're participating in faith under the understanding that there's really only one true God and everything else is false anyway. Okay? With that said, he goes on in verse 7 to say this. He says, However... Not all men have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food, as it were, sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. So what he's talking about is this, having come out of paganism, having come out of a place where you were actually worshiping a false god and and false temples, because you've come out of this place, you're actually tainted in your perspective. You think that by still continuing to participate in one form or fashion, it's as if you're actually worshiping an idol, but we know in faith that idol is nothing. Right? We know in faith that there's only one true God, but you've been tainted by your upbringing. You've been tainted by your experience, and it's hindering your ability to be able to move forward in faith. That's what he's talking about here. But before we're so quick to dismiss it, I, I, just, I, want you to, I want us to get a full grasp because it's easy for us to lose sight of the gravity of what's actually being said in the scriptures. Okay? When, when Misty and I, if you didn't know, we spent six and a half years overseas in a predominantly Buddhist area, so there were Buddhist temples all over the place. You know, and when we were there, we encountered these very scriptures, you know, uh, but as a part of our, the walking out of our own Christianity, and man, what are we going to do, and what does the Bible say about all this kind of stuff? And what we discovered was that in Buddhist temples, they believe that you're earning merit just by being there. So when we would walk through the temple gates into the courtyard, whether we believed it or not, we were earning merit. Let me say it a different way. We were, according to them, worshiping we would say false gods, their gods. By nature of the fact that I was there present at all, let alone eating meat at the festivals that we would do. Now, you have to understand that overseas, even till today, the Bible is so much more alive than it is here in the sense of culture. When we were over there, we literally saw them chop the heads off of goats, I hope that's not too graphic for you, and give blood sacrifices to those idols. They would drag the blood around the temple in like a prayer walk, activating the power behind what they were worshiping. And we have to understand that while the Apostle Paul is, is uh, minimizing this idol, Idol worship the sense that idols exist or don't. Oh, there's only one true God. He's minimizing it. Later, we also understand that he says that they are actually inhabited by demonic powers. So we have real temples with real blood sacrifice and worship to false gods that are empowered by demonic spirits. Now, how many of you think that's kind of a big deal? Like, how many of you think if, like, if I walk through the temple gates and they think I'm worshiping their false gods, doesn't matter what I believe, that's what they believe that that could kind of hinder my witness as a Christian. Like, so so what, what we're talking about is a majorly divisive issue. And honestly, as I was even processing it in my own world, I'm like, I think I'm at odds with the Apostle Paul. I am not biblically. 
Let me make a distinction. Biblically, he says what he says, and that's the word of God. But in my heart of hearts, I'm like, I think if I was in first century church and the apostle Paul was saying, no, it's all good. You can eat that meat that was sacrificed to a demon. No big deal. Just have faith. I'd be like, listen, I got to beg to differ, Paul. I may have been on the opposing argument side of this thing. Right, so, so this is really a large, this is a big divisive, like doctrinal, spiritual issue that's, that's happening. It's not just this flippant thing where the apostles say, hey, it's no big deal, it's no big deal. No, it was a huge deal in the culture when you had these that had such emphasis on the practice, having been saved out of paganism, it was a big deal to them. The apostle Paul, is dress, he's addressing it, and his way of addressing it is simply to say, we have liberty. We pick up again in verse 8. He says, but food will not commend us to God, and we are neither the worse if we do not eat it, nor the better if we do. Verse 9, but take care lest this liberty, now he's talking about our liberty to be able to go without consequence to those temples. Okay, keep it in perspective. That in those temples where they're sacrificing animals to false gods, who Paul later says are inspired and infused with demonic spirits, he's suggesting here, it's of no consequence. You have liberty. It's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. <laughs> are, we with, are you seeing the gravity of the conversation? I hope that you are. Though I saw no head nods. Bless them, Jesus. He says, but take care lest this liberty of yours, that it does not somehow become a stumbling block for the weak. Verse 10. For if someone sees you, and, uh, you who have knowledge, dining in the idol's temple, will, uh, excuse me, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? So in other words, he'll see you, you're a leader in the faith, and you're in, inside the temple, and you're eating meat sacrificed to idols. He doesn't understand that you're doing it by faith, and so he'll be propelled to step into that practice, but at breach of his own conscience, he won't be able to engage in faith because he's come out of paganism, and he's putting far too much emphasis on the practice. That's what he's saying here, all right? Verse 11, for, th- for, for through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whom Christ died. Now, I'm going to give a little nod to our previous series. Do you see the implication of his pricelessness right here? The Apostle Paul is saying, Jesus died for these people. Thus, you have a responsibility to treat them like priceless vessels. There it is. There's the scripture, right? Verse 12. And so, by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Think about this. A massively divisive issue in the culture. And and everybody's got a, a, a great argument for why they believe what they believe. Everybody's got a great scripture for why they believe what they believe. Like, Paul, this is a big deal. I don't really eat meat that was sacrificed to a demonic spirit. Like, that's, that's crazy. But listen, how many of you know, in this scenario, the Apostle Paul was both 100% correct and 100% biblical in his perspective. Are you seeing that? The people who would abstain, who would say, no, I'm not going to do that, they were wrong. And he goes on to say, and they were weak and they were immature in their Christianity. (laughs) And with this understanding, the Apostle Paul says, but for the sake of that person's heart, I will willingly give up the liberty that I have. Even though I'm 100% right, 
Even though I could sit here and I could argue with you all day long, you know, and by the way, I'm writing scripture as I breathe, so that's kind of a, you know, a, <laughs> just a little shot in my favor. Like, I could sit here and argue with you. I could show you the scriptural background and support. We could go round and round and round, and I'm 100% right. You're 100% wrong in spite of the fact that he was right. He was willing to give up his own Christian liberties for the sake of the people who would be an influence around him who might get tripped up by what he was saying or what he was doing. How many of you know we are called to do the very same thing? We are called to walk at the very same level of humility. Again, listen, I I want to maybe overemphasize in some ways that the Apostle Paul was right. He was right. He was biblical. I I guess I feel like overemphasizing that because so many of us, we, we lay hold of that and we say, no, I'm the one that was right. And somehow to us in our minds, that justifies a break in relationship. That justifies our attack of that person, which oftentimes leads down a road to a character assassination. You know, we justify it. Why? Well, because I'm right. I mean, how many of you are as stubborn as I am? <laughs> but I was right. Doesn't matter whether you were right or not. You're called to step into humility. And Philippians chapter 2, consider others as better than yourself. What's, that, what's it saying? It's saying even if you're right, guys, even if you're biblical, you're called to prefer. And it says, in a sense, this is what real love looks like. Imagine for a second being 100% right and 100% biblical and yet willing for a lifetime to disengage from activities that are completely okay before God simply because it might hurt somebody else's heart. To disengage from certain rhetoric because it might hurt somebody's heart. To disengage from an argument because you can see that it's not going anywhere and that if you continue, it will hurt someone's heart. See, this is, what our, this is our core value here. To consider others as better than ourselves. To to consider our opinions secondary to the hearts of the people that are around us, to not exalt our being right over the one who's sitting across the aisle from us. How many of you know Christianity can be pretty hard? He sets a high bar, but it's a bar that I want to keep here. The alternative's not so pretty. The, The alternative, guys, the alternative is a lonely road where you wake up one day and you feel like you can't win anywhere, you feel like nobody's for you, you feel like everybody on the planet sucks but you, and you're isolated and you can't figure out why you don't have friends, why nobody listens to you, and you, and you think that everybody else is broken and you forgot the whole time actually the issue was with you. The issue was with your humility. The issue was with your inability to prefer someone else's heart over your opinion and you've gotten to a place where you've backed yourself into an isolated corner where it's all about you and you have just failed to see that you were the problem all along. I'll never forget, I was talking with somebody who had been married several times and they said something that was profound. They said, Sean, after X number of marriages, I've gotten to a point where I realized either I'm a really, I'm a really bad picker of people and character or there's one consistent variable in these relationships, and that's me. 
You know how profound that is? Some of us need to take a good hard look in the mirror. If we find out that we have a consistent pattern in our lives of rejection, of isolation, of being lonely, a good hard look in the mirror asking Holy Spirit, am I part of the blame? Is probably warranted. That's not 100%. That's not exclusive. Don't take that to a place I didn't want to bring it. But do you hear what I'm saying? It warrants at least asking the question. In your heart of hearts today, do you consider your opinion over the hearts of the people in your sphere of influence? And if the answer is yes, you need to repent. Amen? That really brings us to the next thing, teachability. And I've already alluded to it. The bottom line is this. We need to adjust. We need to adjust for other people. Think about this. If I'm called to give up my Christian liberties you know, for, the, for my, my, my corporate influence, if I'm, if I'm called to do that in that sphere, like how much more would I be called by God to adjust in my more personal relationships, to adjust my opinions, to, to adjust my behaviors, to adjust my outlook, and my, you know, my, my mentalities, to adjust maybe the words that I'm speaking, right? Like how much more, like if I'm, a, if I'm called to make that adjustment out here, how much more would I be called to make internal adjustments for those who I'm lashed to in more personal, intimate relationships? Right, so humility, humility, vulnerability, it, it looks like being a kind of people who are willing and able to hear the feedback of others that are around you and then to make the adjustments accordingly. Listen to this, even if you think they're wrong. Well, you were yelling at me. No, I wasn't. Now, we can step there all day long if you want. I can back myself right in, dig my heels in, and say, I wasn't doing what you're saying. Yes, you were. Now, where are we going with this? Like, are, is anyone going to win? Okay, so we understand that, that maybe my perception isn't accurate in this interaction that we're having. You know what? And maybe my perception doesn't really matter. Why would I say that? Because that person across from you is perceiving you in a certain way and love demands of me that I begin to adjust for their sake, even if I don't think they were right. You were yelling at me. The response shouldn't be, no, I wasn't. The response should maybe be excavating, well, what, what, what exactly was I doing to make you believe that was the case? Let's identify it so that I can correct that behavior so that we don't continue to have that negative pattern in our lives. You have to be vulnerable enough to actually engage in the conversation and you have to be humble enough to be willing to adjust even if you're right. I remember many years ago we were in we were in YWAM Youth with a Mission being trained for missions. You know, and, and sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that when you're around Christian leaders that you're around mature people. How many of you know that Christian leaders are just people that have broken spots just like everybody else? Okay, <laughs> maybe that's all we need to say. There it is. That's, we just need to really know this. And I had this, uh, I had been commissioned to do a project. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but like, I don't need a lot of instruction. You, like, if you just kind of give me the vision, I'll make it happen. Like, I'll just go for it. I'll just build it. Like, whatever. What do, you, what do you need me to do? I'll do it. And such was the case here. And man, when it was done, the leader pulled me aside and 
they were so upset that I had done this project and just ripped me up one side and down the other and had this whole host of accusations against my character and who I was and all this. You know, here's the deal, guys. They were about 95% wrong. You know, but I had to be humble enough to go, Father, was there anything true in the statement that was levied against me? Was there, was there anything at all in there that warrants an adjustment on my side. I've got to be humble enough to go back before the Lord, to submit my life back and kind of go, I don't like the messenger. I don't like what they said. I don't think they were right on any account. But what do you say, Holy Spirit? We have to be humble enough to have that conversation with God and then adjust depending on what we hear him say. And in this case, I felt like the Lord literally said, yeah, 95% of that was just, just flush that stuff. But there's this one thing I'm going to need you to work on. I was like, oh, okay, God, I'll do that. We have to be humble enough to receive that feedback, even if it's from a source that we don't like. That's tough. That's tough. We have to be people who are teachable. How many of you know my goal isn't to be right, but it's to connect with other human beings, to have good communication, and to love well? You know, do you read anywhere in the Bible that says that the goal is for us all as Christians to be right? Or does it say the goal is for us to embody love? You guys are looking far more beat up than I intended. <laughs> be encouraged. <laughs> It's good. This is good. It's calling us back to this place where we can be like Jesus. Yeah, amen? That brings us to communication. I feel like like some of us, we're, we're so afraid of having good communication, particularly when we've been offended. We're so afraid of the of the conflict that we perceive in going to that person and having a good conversation. We're so afraid of that that we would actually prefer to lose the relationship than actually have good communication, to actually have a meeting and, and, and score that out face-to-face. Like, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'd be willing to bet that a large percentage of you have actually cut off relationships rather than actually meet with them and flesh something out. And give feedback and the give and take and what are their needs and what are your needs and how is this relationship going to work? What can we do to make this thing work? We're so, we're so afraid of that conversation. We're so afraid of the rejection potentially from that that we just sever relationships all over the place. Like how many of you know that is not the biblical and appropriate position? We have to, we have to learn how to get to a place where we have assertive communication. And again, it starts out with humility. It starts out with that first category that we, that we launched out into. It starts out with recognizing that at any moment, I, I may have missed it. You know, somebody may say something to me, and I heard it a certain way, but that is not at all what they said. Maybe it is what they said, but it's not what they intended. That happens too, right? And, and what, we, like, what I absolutely can't do then is to allow that scenario to grind at my soul for the rest of my life and to, to heap up in some place swept under the rug until I've created this massive list of wrongs that then I use to explode at some point in the future on this person who had no idea that I was even offended in the first place. Right, the last I checked, love, like love says it keeps no record of wrongs. Well, this is what we're talking about. 
Right? If I'm unwilling to engage with the person who potentially said something that was offensive, I'm actually storing it up as ammunition for the future, hoping that time will heal all wounds. By the way, that's a lie. Time won't heal all wounds. It'll just sweep it in the corner. You'll forget about it until they do something else stupid, and then it'll all come boiling out of there. Hey, we have to get to a place where we have good assertive communications, especially understanding that we don't always have the right perspective. We have to be willing to kind of go, hey, when you, you said this the other day, or did you say this the other day? I say, like, oh, you did say that. What did you mean by that? And you've got to be willing to, to begin to engage. Like, well, when you, when you said that, it kind of made me feel like this. Now, if that person says, I don't give a crap how you feel, you could take a flying leap. Now you know that you need to set a boundary. That's not going to be your best friend. But now you at least know. But you know what I've discovered 95% of the time? They go, oh my goodness, I had no idea that I hurt you when I said that. I had no idea. And you go, man, for the last two weeks, all I've thought about was this, this conversation. I had rolled around in my head 50 times. Oh, boy, it's going to give you a tongue lashing for that thing that I thought that you said. It turns out I just wasted two weeks of my life and got my heart all completely bent out of shape and I almost had a heart attack because I got blood pressure increasing and all for literally nothing. How many of you know that's the case most of the time? Many years ago, I was leaving the house, and my wife, as she's accustomed to do, let me preface this conversation with, my wife looks amazing every time she leaves the house. So, so that's, just, that's just straight, just, just, so, just we're, we're super clear. You know, and we were leaving the house, she said, hey, uh, can you take a look at this? What do you think of this outfit? How, is this, how do I look in this? And my wife has always been looking for honest feedback, right? I think you ought to be women. I think you ought to be able to hear some honest feedback, Right? Like, there's no room for lying. If you're going to ask the question, you need to be able to hear what's coming. Right? I'm not going to lie to you. You know, you don't want my opinion, don't ask me. <laughs> Good thing I got Nancy straightened out on that one. You know? And, and, and Missy, Missy's always been great about that. Like, that's never been, never been a, an issue in our relationship. She said, hey, you know, how do, I, how do I look? Is this presentable? I mean, you know, whatever. And I was like, yeah, you look beautiful. You look great. I got my hand on the doorknob a little bit later of the front of the you know front door, and I'm like, what is that? What does she do? I go back and I find out she's changing. And I said, what are you what are you doing right now? Like we got we gotta go. And grumpily she responds, well you told me I looked hideous, so I'm changing. <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, you look terrible, so I'm gosh, not gonna leave the house looking like that. I was like, babe, I said you look beautiful. What? So you look beautiful. I didn't say you look hideous. First of all, I'd never say that. I wouldn't be that. Like, I'd be honest, but I wouldn't say that. Like, like my goodness. I said, no, you look, you, look, you look fine. You look beautiful. Like, there was no reason to change at all. She's like, I swear, I heard you say that I look terrible. I looked hideous. I I'd never leave the house with somebody looking like that. I'm like, I, I'm like, like, have you ever had a time where the devil gets in and he just literally just takes something out of your mouth and he goes, I'm going to retype that. And, and, it, and it inserts like on the receiving end. They're like, you said what? They're like, no, I didn't say that. Right? Like, so our, like, I, I may not always see something the right way. 
I, I may not always hear something the right way. And then you, you, know, you add the spirit realm to it, and the, the devil is forever after like messing with our communications and messing with our relationships. He's forever like, watch this. He's got all of his little minions. He's like, this is, I love this. This is such a first part of my job. He's like, uh, roses are not blue, they're red. Bam, watch what happens here. You know, and he's, he's looking for you to get so bent out of shape against one another. You said this. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. I heard it. I'm right. Did you hear that? No, I'm right. He wants you to get so bent out of shape that it becomes divisive, and divisiveness becomes lonely. He looks to get you disconnected in your relationship, turned against one another. And most of the time, it's nonsense. You know that nonsense would be hedged off if you would just have assertive communication? You know, hey, uh, you know, yesterday when we left the house, you know, I, uh, like, I, I was kind of upset about that interaction that we had, and, you know, and, and here's why. And I'm kind of submitting it like this because maybe I didn't understand the interaction well. You know, and, and maybe if you're even more assertive, you know, maybe you just simply ask the question, hey, yesterday when we left the house, did you say that I looked hideous? Just ask them. No, I didn't say that. Well, that's pretty solved, right? Like, but, but we never come in these scenarios with accusation. You know, what's accusation look like? When we left the house yesterday, you said I looked hideous. No, I didn't. Okay, what did I just accomplish? All I did was put the person back on their heels, and, and, and like now, we, now we're disconnected, and I'm just going to defend my ground. I didn't, say, I didn't say that. I would never say that. But now she believes it in her heart of hearts, and we're, we're disconnected. We're divided. Now, it doesn't matter what. Like Now the accusations happened. And now all we're trying to do is get our, get our tempers back under control because accusation came to the table. I can either just ask directly or I can submit it softly. Hey, um, like yesterday, you know, yesterday we, we had that interaction and like, like, like is, is, this, is this what you said? Is this what you intended? Like, well, yeah, that's what I said. That's not what I intended. Boy, that, that, really, hurt my, that really hurt my heart. Like when you, when you said that, it, it really made me feel... Small, made me feel whatever, rejected, whatever it is, right? Like now we're having an honest dialogue and we can get to the bottom of what actually happened. But I'm telling you, in 95 plus percent of the case, you go, hey, did you, yesterday when we, did you say that I was hit? No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But how many of you know, it also takes some humility for you to actually believe the person because up until that moment, you believed something false of them. Now you have to believe the words that are coming out of their mouth. How many of you know that's also humility and that's also good communication? If you continue to harbor that in your heart, it will only lead to bitterness. And obviously that leads to disconnection. And it's disconnection. The further it goes, it is much, much harder to deal with. Right? So you can't, you can't sweep it under the rug. You can't, and the other thing you can't do, you can't, you can't ignore it. Say, so, uh, I, I guess I said that the same way. I didn't really mean to. Hmm, how did I say it on here in these most excellent notes? I don't know. <laughs> I said it amazing somewhere on here. Yeah, the response isn't to, to let it grind at you so you, so you ignore it in the sense you allow it to, to grind at you and it stacks up ammo that you get to use against your spouse or against that relationship in the future. But the other thing is you can't just ignore it out of good intentions. Right? We got sweeping it under the rug. It's like, I have the best of intentions. Time will heal all wounds. We believe it's a lie. 
where we believe that and we kind of go, it's okay, I'm sure they meant good, but in my heart of hearts, I'm offended. So I'm, I, I'm trying to be a good Christian in this moment. It's fine. I, I forgive you. You're not, you didn't really forgive him because you're still offended. But you're saying the words, you're a good Christian. How many of you know you get the exact same result? Eventually you've got this big heap and then the next time something happens that's even remotely similar, all that stuff comes right out again. All you've done is keep a list of wrongs. And it's a, again, it's resolved by, and this is what we call it around here, by keeping short accounts with one another. Like, mm, we do it in staff meetings around here. That's a little sideways in the staff meeting. So-and-so said something that was a little bit funny. How many of you know we schedule a one-on-one with each other as fast as humanly possible? Why? Because the enemy of our faith wants to destroy this. How does he destroy it? By getting his ugly face involved and twisting up our perceptions, our brains, and having us hear stuff that wasn't even said, and then getting us to encamp in our positions because we're both right. It's not about being right. It's about being humble. It's about stepping in love. Like this is what we talk about when we're talking about this core value here at Harvest, this core value of vulnerability. The reason it's a core value though is because we believe it's a core value of scripture. So it goes beyond the way that I relate to my staff and they relate to me. And it creeps into my marriage. It creeps into the way that I relate to my children. You know, and parents, that also means that you have to give your kids a platform to actually tell you that what you said was offensive to them. If your kids don't think they have the ability to come to you and say, when you said that, or like, did you, did you mean this? This is how it hit my heart. This is how I took it. If your kids don't have the ability to say that in your home, you need to reevaluate your parenting. Because your kids' hearts are just as important as anybody else. I would wager a little bit more. Right? A sure way to lose your kids' hearts is to not allow them to engage in you within this core value where they can actually have a conversation with you and talk to you about the way that your words impacted their heart. And then you can talk to them about your intentions, you know, and what you were really after and why those regulations are in place and so forth, right? When kids understand what you're doing as a parent because you've had good and adequate communication, they're far more inclined not to be rebellious when they grow. They're far more inclined to actually like you. I like that my kids would like me. I don't know about you, but that's kind of a goal of mine. Amen? So it goes far beyond just the staff at Harvest. It infects the way that we communicate and relate to people all over the place. We have to leave nothing in a place of assumption, particularly if that assumption is negative. Listen, this is how we keep the gates shut to the enemy. This is how we keep them out. This is how we keep this house in unity and not divided. Surest way to division is to hold those opinions deep in your heart and offense until they get to the place where you want to tell 15 people next to you why this church is garbage and you all need to leave with them. Right? You can see the enemy's tactic all over the place. How many churches have been split over the years who just if they had simply had a good Matthew 18 conversation, it would all have been settled. If they would have just come in and said, man, did you mean this when you said that from the pulpit? Oh, no, I didn't mean that at all. Like, wow, let's talk about that. I said something about drinking one time from the pulpit. I had a family who was deeply offended by it. I just made a simple joke. Next thing you know, we're having a meeting in my office, and they were like, ah, that's not funny to us. Like, how many of you know, like, we, like that family 
could have been on the first train out of here because I said something offensive from the pulpit that they didn't understand or that they took the wrong way, but because they actually took the time to come and meet with me and to sit down and kind of go, hey, let's flesh this out together. I had somebody else sit down with me on politics. Hey, when you said that, that made me feel isolated. You know who adjusted in that equation? I did. That's why you don't hear me say much about politics around here anymore. Because I want to reach everybody, not just conservatives. How many of you know I still have opinions? You want to ask me about those? Bud and I would be happy to get you straightened out. <laughs> right? But I had to adjust in that equation. Why? Because that's what, humi- that's what humility do. Does this make sense? This is what we're talking about. You can see the core values and crazy screaming kids. Maybe we do need that insulation, Matt. It's actually coming from the registers, though. Put your ear over there. You hear what I'm talking about. So I don't know how to resolve that one. Anyway, Charles says we can fix it. All right. That's what I like to hear. Solutions, not problems, Paul. All right. Well, thanks for bearing with us. Actually, you know the stage when it's built? I'll actually be here. What a difference that'll make, huh? I see your smears and smirks back there. I'll be tall for the first time ever. Jesus, thank you for being with us. We thank you for these core values that you've given us. We ask that you would help us to actually make them a core and not just a good idea. I pray that you would infect every member of Harvest Church with these ideals, with these kingdom strategies to keep the door shut to the enemy that you would help us, God, in humility, that we would walk in humility, that we would choose humility over fear, that we would choose humility over rejection, that we would choose humility over that perceived conflict or whatever, whatever it is that keeps us from engaging with one another. Help us to do this well. Help us not to be the ones who harbor a bunch of junk in the closet someplace that gets us all twisted up on the inside. Help us, Jesus. We need help bad. The enemy is after us in this area. We need your grace. Would you pour it out on our people? Would you pour it out on us? Lord, we want to love well. We want to be you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to contact us or would like more information about our church or additional podcasts or resources, please visit us online at harvestwarrensburg.com. We hope to see you soon.